Bill McKeeran's going to be preaching. Um, he's one of our elders here and a gifted teacher. Bill, thank you for coming and sharing God's word with us today. Good morning, everyone. Those steps are always a challenge for me because they're only six inches wide. And so you can't get your whole foot on it. Um, so I'm going to read, and then I'm going to pray about our lesson, okay? You can follow along with me inside your bulletin on page two. Um, and it's about Paul ministering in the city. Uh, our church, like Paul, is city positive. And we're going to see an example of this in three stories. This is from Acts 16, beginning at verse 14. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrate tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. The Philippian jailer, I'm sorry, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, 
he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So one of the things that really struck me out of this text is the attraction of the gospel. This story uh, comes face to face with one of the unjustified biases of our day, that the church is exclusive and not inclusive, and that it can be decided along racial, cultural, or political lines. These three stories tell us just the opposite, that the gospel is inclusive, not uh, exclusive, that it is not racial, it is not cultural, it is political. It is available to everyone who wants to hear. Now, this sermon is designed to put, uh, to fit in with both our vision and our mission. Nathan is going to be my technical operator today. And so if he hears me and we've done this right, the first slide is going to show the vision of our church. Can you see it? Because I can't. Okay, thank you. It says, a renewed city through a renewed people to the glory of God. That's the vision statement of Harbor City Church. Now, our mission statement. To make disciples who experience Jesus in every part of their lives and share Jesus in every part of the city. That's our vision and that's our mission. That's what we're about. Our vision and our mission work together to show the power and attraction of the gospel to people no matter what race, culture, language, experience, sexual orientation, it doesn't matter. It shows the power of the gospel to all people. It reaches out. It is a broad net and a powerful net that seeks to bring people into Jesus Christ. Now, God's church is made up of the unlikeliest people. Obviously, I'm an example of that. But the apostles included a zealot who hated Rome and Jews who collaborated with Rome. It also contained Matthew, who was a tax collector and therefore collaborated with Rome. And your first thought would be, how in the world can God bring together for one vision and one mission such disparate people because of the power of the gospel? Paul, the last apostle, who is most responsible for explaining the gospel to the Gentile world, was previously a Pharisee who hated Christians and hated Gentiles. And here he is encountering Gentiles as part of his vision that God has given him and as part of his mission. So we're going to go, Nathan, to the next slide, to Lydia, the first person he contacted. And this shows that she is the rich seeker. The gospel is for society's rich, and the gospel is for those who are seeking. It said that she was at the riverside worshiping God, but it didn't mean that she knew God. It didn't mean that she understood God or had a personal relationship with him. It meant that on the basis of all the evidence before her in the universe, 
She knew that God existed, and she was answerable to him. But how to have a personal relationship with him was still beyond her. Now, there are at least two kinds of seekers. The first kind are those who are always seeking, but they never find. They're always looking for the next new thing. The second kind of seeker is someone who is truly seeking God and will not rest until they find him. And Jesus promises that such people will find God. He says in Matthew 7, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. That is a promise from God that if you are seeking him, you will find him, though he is not far, the Bible tells us, from each of us. So Lydia was the second kind of seeker. And a characteristic of this true seeker is that she actually responded to the gospel. It says in our text that Lydia was a worshiper of God and the Lord opened her heart to do two things. One, to pay attention to what Paul was saying. And secondly, uh, to receive what, and we, what he was saying. We know that she received it because she was baptized and her whole household, and she said to Paul, please come, this is a message I want everyone to hear. So there, uh, I didn't know it, I was a seeker, although if you had told me I was a seeker, I would have laughed in your face. But at one point, at one point, I heard the gospel and all of a sudden it made sense. And I was 30 years old when that happened, at least 10 years ago. <laughs> now sometimes our response may be immediate. Sometimes our response may be gradual or eventual but all true seekers will receive the gospel, will hear Jesus Christ. And we see here the practical result of Paul's own conversion. Paul is living evidence of the power of the gospel. He goes from being a hunter of Christians to the guardian of Christians. He goes from one whose purpose is to stamp out Christianity to one whose purpose is to make sure that every person on earth hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. We would not have a full understanding of the gospel without Paul's epistles. Now, Paul is a Pharisee, former Pharisee, prayed a very common prayer among Pharisees which went this way, and I'm quoting. I thank you, O God, that I am not a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. Now, that was a daily prayer of a faithful Pharisee. Here he is, it's not clear from the text whether uh, Lydia is uh, Jewish, but she is a woman, okay, and Paul would not have, as a Pharisee, had any conversation with her in open public. But here he is actively seeking out. Paul is going out to uh, find ways uh, to share the gospel. One of the things I love about this is that Christians are we are um, lizards, excuse me. You are a lizard and not a frog. A frog sits on that lily pad and waits for the fly to come by and it zaps out that tongue. A lizard doesn't do that. A lizard is constantly on the prowl. That's a Christian. We're constantly on the prowl looking for opportunities uh, to share the gospel. Now some of us 
certainly me in my former life, may be surprised that Lydia responded because she was clearly wealthy. It says she was a seller of purple, which is a cloth, very expensive cloth, reserved for either the very wealthy or for those with titles, like kings and princes and queens. Uh, she shopped in Beverly Hills and drove a Tesla and had several maids. Her house was on that show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. From my background, that's the person that I personally would write off. I would not be motivated to share the gospel with them. And that Christ tells me, Bill, that's a sin. Whomever I put in front of you to share the gospel is the person with whom I want you to share the gospel. Now, although Lydia was sincerely religious, she was not a Christian. She did, however, have a hunger for a deeper spiritual experience. You know, the mind is closed against the full truth, either from ignorance or prejudice and cannot discern it, or from pride and perversity and will not admit it. Being religious does not make you open to the gospel. In fact, being religious can make you an enemy of the gospel. We see that in the Pharisees and the scribes. We see that in the members of certain uh, groups that practice violence rather than faith. Uh, and Paul, before he became a Christian, was deeply religious and deeply devout. And yet God said to him on the road to Damascus, why do you persecute me? Lydia closely listened to the truth of Christ, which Paul spoke to Lydia's small congregation. And as Paul spoke, the light dawned and Lydia's heart opened to receive Christ as our Savior. Uh, we have uh, people like this in our church. I, I know I'm going to embarrass her. I'm only going to talk like this bit about Candace Coles. But she's like Paul. You won't be around her very long without hearing the gospel. I love that about her. Now, Paul shared the gospel with someone very much unlike him. She was a woman, and he a former Pharisee. She was rich. Paul was an itinerant preacher. She was well-connected and socially prominent. Paul was a hunted man, a fugitive, always on the move, always on the run. But Paul's approach with Lydia was to explain the gospel. That was his approach. With you, I am going to explain the gospel. So here's the situation. One, he goes to seek. He functions as a lizard. And then when he finds people, he explains the gospel. This is the way I learn. I, I'm not impressed by, you know, miracles and, and stuff like that. That really doesn't move me that much. What move, I got to get it here, and it's got to get down into here. If I don't get it, if it doesn't make sense to me intellectually, I back off. But by the grace of the Holy Spirit, he caused this wicked mind to grasp the gospel and to get it. So Paul went to Lydia. He sought out the circumstance. So here's sort of a principle I want you to take with you. The religious, the agnostic, and the atheist all need Christ's salvation. The religious, the agnostic, and the atheist all need Christ's salvation. The next point, we go to them. Wherever they are, we just go to them and we explain the gospel. Um, the poor and the wealthy equally need a savior. And the gospel each even reaches to people at the top of the social ladder who have, or at least think they have, everything. Don't be afraid to share the gospel with someone because they're wealthy or poor. 
share the gospel whenever and wherever we get the chance. You can go to the seeker and tell them you have what they're looking for. That is not arrogance, that is truth. Sharing the gospel is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. So with Lydia, Paul had the approach of going to her and the method of explaining the gospel to her. But both the approach and the method were different, next slide, with the oppressed slave girl. So here I'm reading uh, from our text, a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owner as much gain by fortune telling. Now Paul is now sharing the gospel with someone at the opposite end of the social and economic order. Whereas Lydia was free and among the country's social and economic elite, Paul and Silas were not talking to a slave girl with no money, no rights, and no status. Lydia was at the top of society and the slave girl was at the bottom. The slave girl's owners oppressed her. They told her where to go, what to do, and how to dress. She did not have the freedom to make decisions for herself. She worked for them. Indeed, she was poor because she made them rich. She was not only oppressed by her owners, she was also oppressed by an evil spirit that foretold the future. She could not turn to anyone for help. She had no social and legal standing to do, to do so. But Paul cast out the demon in the name of Jesus Christ and this girl's life was changed forever. She was no longer able to tell fortunes. She was probably released as useless. We don't know, but we knew though that Paul saved her. And we would get to heaven, we could ask her about the rest of her life. Heaven is gonna be full of some marvelous testimonies. So until Paul and Silas came along, this slave girl had no hope. There was no way out for her. Uh, like the person described by several lines in a poem by Robert Frost, she had nothing to look back uh, upon with pride and nothing look, to look forward to with hope. Until Paul and Silas came along, she was helpless and hopeless. So let's take note now of Paul's approach with the slave girl, which is different from his approach with Lydia. Paul, with the oppressed slave girl, Paul demonstrated the gospel. With Lydia, he sat down and explained it. But with the slave girl, he demonstrated the gospel. He showed her that Jesus makes us free by delivering her from the oppression of both the evil spirit and her owners. Now, again, as with Lydia, Paul shared the gospel with someone very much unlike him. He was a man, she was a woman. He was born free, a citizen of Rome. She was a piece of property to greedy merchants. He had full rights and status under Roman law. She had almost no rights or status under Roman law except as a piece of property. I'm here reminded of the daughter of Marion Francis Catherine Donahue. She's like Paul. She shares the gospel with foreign students who know nothing about Jesus Christ, who know nothing about the freedom that comes from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Unlike the situation with Lydia, Paul did not seek out the circumstance. The circumstance sought out Paul, and he was confronted with the situation not of his own choosing. Next slide. You see this? This is a berm. I call it the Bill McCurian idiot berm. My house is on the other side of this street. And I was going to, my neighbor lives down that steep driveway, and I was going to take him um, a present uh, because I'm hoping that this will be an opportunity to share the gospel with him. Well, I have never driven down his driveway. So I drive a boat, which is called a Volvo station wagon. And I drove my boat and I made a hard right turn right on top of the berm. And I was like a seesaw. You see that notch there? That's the Mercurian idiotic notch. <laughs> Some people have an Ebenezer. This is my idiot's notch. You can drive by it today and bow to it if you'd like. <laughs> so I'm sitting there in my Volvo rocking this way and rocking that way. The car will not go forward or backwards. So I get out, I call AAA, and, and I said, listen, I need help. What's the problem? I said, some idiot drove my car over a bird. <laughs> and they said, is he there? I said, I have him right here. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> so they said, and this was just over the Christmas holiday. And so she said, I'll send somebody right away. So 20 minutes, and fortunately, only one car came. And this car came and stopped right then. He said, what happened? I said, some idiot drove his car over the bird. They said, where is he? I said, he's standing right here in front of you. <laughs> so the AAA guy came, winched me up, pulled me back onto the street, and uh, I was positioned, to, my driveway is right on the other side. And as soon as I pulled my car in the driveway, God said to me, go tell him. And I go, oh, I'm just like, that. I don't want to. Go tell him. <sighs> okay. So I went up, and I, his name was Manuel. I said, and I asked him his name. I said, Manuel, I'm Bill. I want to thank you very much uh, for pulling me out. I said, you see the situation? I had driven my car over the berm. I was stuck. I couldn't go forward, and I couldn't go backward. I was helpless. I did not have the means to extricate myself from the position in which I had put myself. But you came and you pulled me out. I said, Manuel, this is what Jesus Christ does for sinners. We are trapped in sin. We cannot go forward. We cannot go backward. We cannot pull ourselves out. This is a situation of our own making. And if God doesn't pull us out, we are trapped. I said, Manuel, do you understand what I'm saying? He said, yes, thank you very much. And he went. I did not choose the situation. And if the Holy Spirit hadn't just said to me, go tell him, I would have ducked it. But I know if I had ducked it after he told me, I'd have been beating myself all, all day. So I told him. So listen, the gospel is for people who are oppressed and poor. The people at the bottom of the social ladder. Uh, the people who need help because they cannot go forward and they cannot go backward. They are in a situation in which they are helpless and they're hopeless. And somebody needs to come along and tell them about Jesus Christ. If you've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is so simple. 
we have sinned. Our sins have separated us from God. No amount of good conduct can close the gap our sins have created. God has a right to be angry with us. God has a right to hold us in judgment. But what he did was dress his son in flesh who came to earth and lived our lives for us and then was crucified on the cross for us, taking on himself every single one of our sins, not some of them, and not only the ones that aren't too good or the ones that are kind of socially acceptable, even hip, all our sins. He died for sinners to free them because we can't go forward and we can't go backward. We are stuck and we need to be pulled out. That's the gospel. Next slide. So we have seen Paul deal in one approach by seeking out people and somebody at the top of the ladder. In the second approach, we see him reaching out to someone at, well, at the bottom of the social scale. He wasn't going to her. The situation confronted him, but because he is a believer in Christ, he took the situation and confronted him and dealt with it in a gospel manner. And now we see the next part of the story. Here we see the gospel at work in the heart of a hardened cynic in the midst of a bunch of hardened criminals. Paul and Silas are not just inside the prison, they are in the inner part of the prison, reserved for the worst offenders, and they are not just in prison in the inner part of the prison, they are in stocks. I mean, this is truly overkill. This is meanness. Um, so, Picture this scene. The prison is full of other people who have committed wrongs. We probably got some murderers in there, some thieves, some miscreants, some lowlifes, all kinds of people in there. And here Paul and Silas are brought in, beaten, bloody, and tired. And they're probably the subjects of catcalls, derision, and ridicule at first. I mean, these guys are in prison for manly crimes. Paul and Silas are in there for talking about God. Talking about God? I mean, that's like a guy being thrown in the midst of bikers and rappers and telling them that he's, and somebody just said, that guy just watched back-to-back -back episodes of Say Yes to the Dress. I mean, they're laughing. This is silly. They're laughing at these guys. And here they are inside, and what do they do? They start praying and praising God in song. Prayer, praise, and singing. And at some point, the derision and the catcalls stopped. At some point, the other prisoners started listening. It's like the two prisoners on opposite crosses near Jesus both began uh, railing against him, scripture says, and finally one of them said to the other, be quiet, say nothing. This man is truly the son of God. We deserve to be here, but he doesn't. That same dynamic was at, at work here. And then an earthquake comes. And all the doors are flung open, all of them. And, and here's the miracle, all the prisoners stay. None of them run. Now, you know, when we watch television, the first thing that happens when the jail doors open is everybody runs like crazy to get out of there. Why don't they go? 
Because the first time in their lives they understand that they will never be free without this God. That though they leave the prison, they will always remain in prison. Though they can get out of their chains, they will always be in chains if they don't give their lives to a God who is able to save sinners. And so this message is so powerful to harden the criminals that they despise the opportunity to flee because now they have the first time in their life an opportunity to be free. They have an opportunity to be different, to be viewed differently, to be called the sons of God rather than a ragtag thief. Maybe he's the guy who's heard from his parents all along, you'll never amount to anything. Or they grew up in the wrong neighborhood and they hung with the wrong crowd and one mistake led to another and they were helpless and hopeless. And here comes somebody who gives them help and hope even though he's in an inner prison in stocks. He understands more about what it means to be free than they do. And so they stay. And the jailer comes and these were pretty good positions, generally reserved for former military men. So it's a coveted civil position. But they have a responsibility to make sure no prisoners escape. And if they, a prisoner escapes, the punishment is to be killed. So that's why he's going to throw himself on his sword. Now, Paul, if he wasn't a Christian, would have let the guy throw himself on the sword and then say, oh, too bad. Or you deserve that. Because what did, the guard was supposed to wash his wounds and feed him. We know that because that's what he did later. But what he did was just stick him in the stocks. And Paul said to him instead, don't, don't, don't hurt yourself. We are all here. And I just want you to take a moment and imagine what was going on in the heart and mind of this jail. He is about to impale himself on his own sword because he is so worked up with, with the fear of what will be done to him and of the sense of this deep failure. And then someone, the person that, that is the prisoner says to him, we're all here. How could this be? So with Lydia, Paul explained the gospel. With the slave girl, he demonstrated the power of the gospel. But with the jailer and the hardened criminals, he lived the gospel. His life showed what it meant to be a Christian. And, and, when, the, and when the jailer sees this, the first thing he asks is, what do I have to do to be saved? This power that can transform not just you, but all these other criminals, I need that power in my life. And so he's baptized and his whole house is baptized. We've got three different approaches, an explanation, a demonstration, and a way of living. I say this because there's no set way for us to share the gospel. There's no pat way of doing it. Uh, sometimes we explain it. Uh, but sometimes with Lydia, we just demonstrate it. Like Mother Teresa, you take, you take the head of a sick person and you feed them. Or like um, Todd uh, Reach, he wraps up socks and candy and he delivers them to the homeless. He doesn't take credit for it. He doesn't tell anybody about it. 
but he just does it. He demonstrates, he demonstrates. And then sometimes we don't talk, sometimes we demonstrate. And sometimes we don't demonstrate, we just live it out. We live our lives in such a way that people come up and say, why don't you hate your father? Why are you still with your husband? Why do you let other people take credit at work for what you've done and not get upset about it? Why do you seem to be happy when you're not rich? And what's going on in your life that makes you act that way because I need that in my life as well? So this all goes back to our vision. A renewed city, not through social machinations, but through a renewed people. Why? So that God will be glorified. And what's our mission? To make disciples who experience Jesus in every part of their lives so that wherever they are, there's an opportunity to live out the gospel, to demonstrate the gospel, or to explain the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for giving us such practical demonstrations of the power of the gospel and freeing us from formulas to think that we have to do it only one certain way. And we are not the Apostle Paul, but you don't include these stories so that we would be wowed by Paul, but so that we would be motivated by you, that we would be edified by the knowledge of your power and glory and how you work in the lives of sinners. Make us uh, people who both explain the gospel and demonstrate it and live it all to your glory. Amen.